Hi, everyone. Welcome to the weekly Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the Opinion Pages editor. I'm Bob Doucette, editorial writer, columnist, and former fantasy football champion. Oh, yes, that's starting up. See, Bob's going to start wearing a hat every weekend to rep for some team, some Life is it going to be the same fan, team, baby. or are you going to change? Are you a Fairweather fan, depending no, on? No, 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 man. I've been watching the Denver Broncos play since Craig Morton was hucking the ball around on those bum knees of his. So <laughs> we're excited. We got Russell Wilson, man. We're pumped. That will bring a little extra. So this won't turn into a sports podcast. We're going to bring it back to local politics because that's what we have been breathing for the last, you know, two or three weeks. Um, you know, this is we we put a lot of emphasis in, recently on the the upcoming Tuesday election, which in Tulsa, every Tulsa resident has a ballot because every race for the Tulsa City Council is contested. So no matter where you live in Tulsa, you can vote. So we have interviewed, I counted them up, 19 of the Tulsa City Council candidates as a board because we make endorsements in these, you know, sort of based on what we think, you know, our priorities are for the city. Do they, you know, looking at candidates and whether they would be good for their district in particular and the city overall. So we ended up, we didn't endorse in all of them for this one because there are just so many candidates that there are some races that will likely go to a runoff. There's an order, if you have three or more candidates, a, an outright winner has to get 51% of the vote. So when you get three or more candidates, the more likely it is you have a runoff. The runoff will be November 8th. So that'll be a big general election day. Mm -hmm. So to recount and help me if I miss something, we endorsed in District 2 with Jeannie Q, incumbent. District 3 with Krista Patrick, an incumbent. District 6, Connie Dodson as the incumbent, and also incumbents with District 7, Lori Decker-Wright, and District 8, Phil Lakin. And I know that it's it, they're all incumbents, and people think that's the easiest status quo. And some of these uh, candidates have, you know, a, a pretty decent opponent, but we just looking at each of these individually, I just think they've each done a very good job. Some have really grown into... Um, leaders that I didn't expect. I'm thinking Connie Dodson, the first time I met her, I remember thinking, does she really know what she's getting into? And now I, the, what she has been able to accomplish for her district, I mean, she's one of the few that can say, I help build housing units yeah. in a city that were struggling with housing. So, um, you know, they were just, and what I love about city council races, they're nonpartisan. We did not talk Republican, Democrat. We talked about the, and the priorities, the, what was interesting among all these candidates, they had similar priorities, housing, that includes homelessness, public safety, and, and streets. Those aren't, those aren't conservative or liberal values. Those are just things as a city we need. So yeah. um, anyway, that's sort of, we also made some city charter amendments are up in Tulsa. We backed all three of them. One is just housekeeping language. Back when we made the charter, we put in there that the mayor would make like $60,000 or something low like that. 
they just want to take it out because the mayor's salary is going to change through time. The other one was to, oh, a, a city resident, a residency requirement. Mm-hmm. Apparently there wasn't one for the mayor and the one for the districts were pretty low. So they changed it to be, you have to have lived in your district or, you know, or the city for the mayor for a year. And that, that mayor is the city. So that seems reasonable. And the other is to expand the city auditor's job to four years instead of two and to stagger it with the mayor. And that seems reasonable too. So um, those are the ones we back low. That's the local scene. This is the first time you've gone through an endorsement process. Mm-hmm. What kind of struck you with how, how this works and how, you know, the, the way we do it and what you think people have a misconception maybe about with this? Well, I think the one thing that um, I would hope that people would realize, and we can just tell them right now, is we invest a lot of time in this. Um, we try very hard to contact everybody, talk to them, get to the issues, maybe ask a few sticky questions if they're out there. But it's not like we're just out there saying, oh, yeah, let's go with that one. You know, we're talking to all of these people. We're getting their ideas. And, you know, it's it's somewhat similar to what the reporters do when they try to, to do uh, stories on these races and stuff. But now you're getting a broader group of people who are actually talking about these candidates and saying, well, what do you like about this one? What do you not like about this one? And so forth. Um, so, yeah, we're not going into it as a arbitrary or willy-nilly kind of thing. You know, this is something we take pretty seriously. Um, and we invest a lot of time in this and we're not doing this just for grins and giggles. This is a service that we're trying to do. Um, trying to give folks reasons why we think certain people are best suited for the jobs that they're going for. Um, one other thing I would say too, on the incumbent deal, I think that speaks a lot to where the city council is right now. So before I moved here in Tulsa, my comparison from the Tulsa City Council was with the Oklahoma City Council. Uh, Oklahoma City has for decades now been running smooth and strong and it shows. When I moved here, it was a Tulsa City Council that was just at each other's throats, problems right and left, um, hard to get things done. And it seems to be, to me anyway, um, I wouldn't say 100%, but in a lot of ways coming together and you're starting to see the fruits of those labors of a body that works well together. Cannot underestimate how important that is and how a city is run. You're right. And with some of these incumbents, and that's the hard thing about running against an incumbent is you are running against a track record. And if people like that track record, it's it's hard to, to overcome. That's but right. with People, uh, some of them like Phil Lakin, uh, Jeannie Q, Connie Dodson. I mean, they came in at, they all kind of came in at the same time right after that dysfunction. And it was embarrassing. It was unproductive. It brought Tulsa backwards. But when they came in, the whole tenor changed. And I think you cannot discount that, yes, you're representing your district, but you're also working with, you know, eight other people 
who have varying backgrounds and ideas. And, um, and you have to, in order to get something for your district, you have to work with others for theirs. And really as a city, that's how it should work. We're bringing all, you know, we're bringing up everybody. So, um, and so that's why you're right. There was a time where incumbents on the city council did not get the Tulsa World endorsement because they had a poor track record of getting yeah, it. They weren't effective. So, so we are in, in a way that I had, there was one candidate that talked about how people as district didn't know who the city councilor was. And on the one end, my, my gut reaction, my instinct was to say, well, that's kind of on them. I mean, I'm kind of tired of the, I don't know anything. And I'm like, well, you have a responsibility as a citizen to know things. But at the other side of it is it shows that maybe things are going pretty well in that district. If, if you as a constituent don't have a need to look up and reach out to your city council because councilor because of a problem, maybe that's an indication things are going pretty well. So another way to look at it. But yeah. But anyway, that was uh it, it's it's always interesting to meet all of these candidates because even though some may not win, they won't win. They all obviously can't win. But they're going they're gonna be leaders in other areas typically. So any the same with, with school boards. Even if you don't win the school board election, you're gonna they're gonna end up popping up in nonprofit leadership roles or or business. And and so it's always interesting to hear those perspectives and meet those people. So and also, man, they're running. That's hard. Yep. Even if I don't agree with them, it is hot outside. They're knocking on doors. They're getting yelled at about, you know, whatever. I mean, it's it's hard to put yourself out there. So mm-hmm. um, I just, you know, I don't really, I think that's, that's awesome. People are doing that. And, and because all of them are challenged this year in city council, it's a healthy democracy. People have choices now. So every single Tolson has a choice on their city council this year. So go vote. Um, also on the races, not to, to leave that. We, there are two, we made several endorsements for uh, state races earlier and two are in a runoff that we endorsed. One is April Grace, we're our state superintendent. She, and she in particular, we just feel like her goal, her experience is, is extensive. I mean, she's been everything, including superintendent of the year. But she also recognizes that the biggest challenge right now is a teacher and staff shortage that we are just, even now, first day of school, can't get, te- we don't have enough teachers. So she recognizes that and student outcomes as a priority. So that's why we sort of endorsed her amongst other reasons that we uh, mentioned and uh, Leslie Osborne. So, and that's, you know, that's one of those little known agencies, right? Yeah, labor department. You know, labor, labor, sorry, labor commissioner. <clears throat> And uh, didn't you write a little bit about, you've covered a little bit about on the, that agency a bit. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a small agency. I think they got like 80 employees, the whole thing. And you usually don't see what they do, but you know, she's one of those people who's evolved over the years um, first as a lawmaker and now as labor commissioner. And I think one of the things that we liked about her is uh, she's got the office running right. She's got broad perspective. Um, It's, you know, obviously for our opinion, the easily the most qualified person running for that office. Um, And kind of similar with what we see with state superintendent. Um, If you're looking at experience and qualifications, it doesn't really, that's not much of a comparison. Right. Uh, not wanting to sound cruel or anything like that, but that's just facts. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yes, we want, obviously we want the most qualified and those are Republican primaries. So right. only Republicans can vote those races. The uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up because you are sort of, you're the letters editor, letters to the editor, editor. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, we, and I've always encouraged people because they want to, they always want to write an op-ed. And I'm like, no, that's a letter. So to remind people, you can submit a letter to the editor with your opinion on these races. Mm -hmm. Now we have a blackout period now because we have, I always kind of viewed it as a cooling off that mm -hmm. we aren't going to run any endorsement letters between Saturday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So. Those letters, we've already got that set, so you're, yeah, you're full. too late for now, yep. but you aren't too late for the fall, because what will happen is everyone waits till the week of the election, and then they want to write a letter, and you're too late. So yeah, do that. How many, I say, how many, did you have to leave some out because they got it in probably today or um, yesterday? Yeah, there's probably about four or five. Uh, today that I mean I appreciate it but we're full there were several yesterday and it's the same kind of thing I mean I hate to say first come first serve but if you're waiting till the week before to write it uh, you're going to be competing with a lot of other voices so it's nothing against you it's nothing against the quality of the letter you wrote or anything like that it just got to the point where we only have so much space for letters and I tried to I think this week um, you know, especially the last three days, it was all about campaigns. Mm -hmm. And in a few days before that, it was probably about half or 75% of the letters we got were campaigns. So we definitely gave it a try to get all of that stuff in, but we just filled up. So when November comes around, remember, more people are going to be fired up about November than they are about primary runoffs. So if you want to say, wait, weigh in on the governor's race or congress or u.s senate or or whatever understand a lot of people are going to be wanting to write about that stuff so don't wait until the first week of november to send us something get it in there i want to say the last time because i was doing letters the last general election and there was a point where i was getting about 80 to 100 letters a week mm. and there's just no way you're going to get those in i mean there's you know so my suggestion for those of people who really think I do want to have, you know, I want to point out why I like this candidate or that candidate, put a count, put a, a reminder on your calendar, like October 1st, because then we can get those in. So don't wait till the week of. And so tell them again how they can get a letter to you. Um, so we have a, if you go to TulsaWorld.com in the opinion section, there is a, uh, there's a link that you can use that sends you to a screen and you can just write the letter on there. That's the easiest way to do it. Emails it straight to us. Um, you can write a snail mail and uh, mail it to our Tulsa World offices on, uh, on South Boulder. Definitely prefer the online portal. There's a 250 word limit. Uh, no name calling or anything that sounds offensive, that kind of stuff. You know, win on your ideas. Don't win by, you know, ripping somebody for in inappropriate ways. But we love to get them. Yeah, and don't compare people to genocidal regimes. We're, yeah, we're being, that. That, that ramps up pretty, pretty hotly. So we're really coming down on that. You also have to include your real name. And um, it has to be... If you want to use initials, you can use your 
first initial and middle initial, but we don't use pseudonyms. We don't use, hmm. you know, that kind of thing. We also need a phone number and a way to verify you are who you are. Now, yes. some letter writers we have gotten to know over the years, but if you're a first time writer, we're just, we won't put your name, your address or number in the paper or get it, give it out to anyone. And that includes our advertising department or whoever we, we keep that just so we can verify you are who you are. So, yeah. um, so anyway, get, get your letter ready. Um, but you know, we're talking about local issues and, and the one that I wrote about or that we're writing about this weekend is the one that just won't go away. And that's banning books. This mm -hmm. has really gotten popular among right-wing conservatives. I mean, it's just, I, they want to take away your freedom to read is the way I look at it. And so um, Texas, there was a school district in Texas that recently pulled 41 books, including the Diary of Anne Frank, because apparently that's just too much for kids, even though it's, what, been out there for 75, 80 years, something like, you know, however long it is. Um, and, and so that falls in line. I read St. Louis Post-Dispatch said Missouri teachers are pulling books from their bookshelves because of a law that went into effect. One of the things we're seeing in Oklahoma is a self-censoring, self-censoring with House Bill 1775 that mm -hmm. says you can't make kids feel bad about anything, I guess. Um, and so there are teachers that are pulling in particular Killers of the Flower Moon that we've had media reports out. Some are staying away from it's It's having an effect of you know, whitewashing history and, and, and feelings. And then recently this week, Enid had another dust up. Enid seems to be a, a hotspot for, for, for people who would want to censor books. Uh, the library in April pulled a bunch of, you know, displays on, and, he, and they passed a, 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 some sort of rule to have nothing sex or gender related. So they had to sort of disband a romance book club they won't put up pride displays or even a sexual awareness display. So now a, a high school, this got kind of weird, a high school, and this came from the Enid Morning News, uh, or the Enid News and Eagle, I'm sorry, that they were covering this. I want to give them credit. But a, an assistant high school principal had sent out an email with a list of 41 or 44 books to pull from the shelves. And this is where it get, got a little weird. It it, the, the list had Linda Murphy's name on it, who is an education secretary under Frank Keating, and that she was the chair, chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party Education Committee. Mm -hmm. I contacted the Republican state chair, A.J. Ferret, yesterday, and he said that since he's been chairman in May, they've not had an education committee. So I don't know who went rogue. <laughs> but, but it's not, I am glad that the Oklahoma Republican Party does not have an official policy to ban books, because uh, that never ages well um, for an organization or government. But it just, you know, this whole thing, it, it's it's sad for me, it, because it's not banning books, it's not protecting kids, it's trying to erase a thought or an idea. And I think it's just bad. It's bad for society. It's not helpful for kids. And that's not to say that some of those books aren't heavy and jarring and maybe some kids aren't ready for it but it doesn't mean it doesn't have value for someone so I just when it comes to banning books I'm just especially when schools ha already have policies in place for you know restrictions where you might have to have parental 
you know, permission or things like that. So mm. I take that on a little bit, you know, talking about history, which is something you got into talking about bit. history. So that moves in into the radicalization that we're hearing, dangerous words coming out of mouths of our leaders. So you were in Oklahoma City when the Oklahoma City bombing happened and you wrote about that a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, my memories of that day are pretty vivid. I was working in a little weekly newspaper. And uh, as you might expect, when the bombing happened, every media organization that could get down there did, including the smaller outlets that were in that area. Um, this is it's a little bit of an offshoot of what I wrote about last week. But I wanted to specifically talk about the dangerous game that we are playing right now with our, our rhetoric about what happened when the FBI executed search warrant Mar-a-Lago. So I just want to talk about a couple of words that I saw some of our elected people use. And I'm, I'm reading this on a screen here. You know, we're talking about the politicization of the DOJ and the FBI. Um, another thing, politically motivated raid. So when you're talking about a raid, you're thinking about armed agents storming something, which did not happen in this case. It's uh, not a raid. That's driving me crazy. Another term that was used, an invasion. Oh. So that's, these types of terms and stuff that are used not by some YouTuber, QAnon person, not on some Facebook rant. These are people that the voters of the state of Oklahoma elected to Congress. That's who we're talking about here saying these things. And it's not that far removed from the epithets that were cast at federal agents back in the 90s when they were calling them jackbooted thugs and stuff like that. <clears throat> so on Monday just for grins and giggles, because this is the stupid stuff I like to do. I went through a thread of videos that all of these, uh, let's just say angrier Trump supporters put on TikTok. Just kind of listening to what they had to say about it and stuff like that. And it was, you know, a lot of talk about civil war and revolution and, you know, they're coming for our guns and all that kind of stuff. When you look at the roots of the Oklahoma City bombing, there were a couple of things that were pretty strong themes. Uh, one of them was a strong fear of the federal government coming in to take your guns. Um, and another thing was just a general idea that everything is going wrong and the only way that we can get out of this mess is, you know, this tree of liberty is watered by the blood of patriots kind of thinking that you know war must come end times are here and that kind of stuff <clears throat> after the bombing happened all of that stuff got real quiet because there was just a general revulsion for what happened in oklahoma city i mean nobody nobody was sticking up for the government about what happened at ruby ridge or what happened in waco for obvious reasons uh, those were two incidents that went very badly. But the response, you know, the thinking that you respond to this by blowing up a federal building where you've got, I think the agency that suffered the most losses, casualties was the Social Security Administration. Mm -hmm. 
They had nothing to do with all of that stuff. Uh, 19 children killed in a second floor daycare. That's what the bombing gave us. You know, 168 people killed. The rhetoric that I was, that we were hearing then is real similar to what we're hearing now. My, but the thing is now is instead of like just TV and radio or books or something like that, it's all over the internet. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere, this kind of stuff. And it's firing people up. And we've seen how this goes. People get mad. We had somebody, you know, within a day or two of the FBI search starting a, a little gun battle outside of the Cincinnati FBI office. You know, we've had January 6th was a, a deal where a movement grew over the internet to bring violence to the Capitol when they were going to count the electoral votes and, you know, officially sign off on the 2020 election. And now we've got this going on. You know, the FBI and the National Archives had been trying for many, many months to get these records back. Some of them extremely sensitive documents that did not belong at Mar-a-Lago for obvious reasons. For one, they didn't belong to the former president. And secondly, extremely sensitive stuff in an unsecured area. This is bad. They played cat and mouse with us for months and it just finally got to the points like we got to go get the stuff. So they went and go got went and got the stuff. It was not violent. It was legal. It was above board. And this is the response we're getting. And it is very dangerous. And it included an appointed judge by Trump and the FBI director is a Trump appointee. So yeah. these aren't radical liberals. But going back to that rhetoric, I think the difference between the Oklahoma, and you point this out, the difference between the Oklahoma City bombing and now is that rhetoric that led up to the bombing was largely on, it was on the fringe, but they didn't, there wasn't connectivity like there is today. No. You know, you, we had LOM City, the white supremacist camp. We had, you know, you'd have these pamphlets that would be handed out at these things, but you didn't really have, they didn't come into the mainstream. And so that rhetoric was coming out of people that were being discounted because they were just, you know, not rational. Now we're hearing that rhetoric out of elected leaders. And that's what's going to embolden the violence even more. Because we heard that. And, and this is yeah. not a Republican Democrat thing. I do not view those insurrectionists on January 6th as a member of a political party. They may have been, but to me, in my eyes, they're just extremists bent on violence. So I want to make that clear. This is not a knock on a party. This is a knock on the extremists that I hope that the moderates of the party stand up to is what we're getting at, because this is dangerous because you heard some of those insurrectionists say Trump told us to come down here. Mm. I was told, you know, I remember it's like Ted Cruz will like us breaking into Pelosi's, you know, office. And so it by having some sort of if you are. In an office, if you're a leader, your words matter. I mean, people will take it and they may act on it in ways that you don't want. And that's what makes makes it maybe more difficult the higher you are in, in office. But that's what scares me a little bit. Is you don't want to throw gas on the fire. Exactly. And it and it's like you might want to, you might gain the short-term political points to get out of the primary, but long term, you're emboldening white supremacy and you're emboldening people bent on violence 
against the government. And those are servants, you know? Yeah. The FBI was, and, and, and to attack the FBI is sort of puzzling to me because they, are, they didn't seek the warrants. That was sought by, I mean, is that right? I mean, who, was it, wasn't it the attorney general that, that approved it? Well, yeah, the National Archives is trying to get it back. And, and they you know, judge they trying to... it's not like they go out on their own and just decide they're yeah. going to raid something. I mean, that's, and I understand wanting to have more information on how that unfolded as, but, um, but yeah, hearing the anti-government rhetoric, having gone through that Oklahoma City bombing experience, um, it's like we have not learned from history. And of all people in Oklahoma, we should learn from that history. I mean, well, yeah, that's that's one of the things that shocks me about this, okay? You know, I'll go ahead and start naming names now. Senator Langford is about our age. Uh -huh. He he is has to be keenly aware of what happened in Oklahoma City. He used to represent the Oklahoma City area when he was a member of the House of Representatives. You know, Stephanie Bice is a few years younger than us. She has to be keenly aware of what happened there. She represents the Oklahoma City area. All of our elected members of Congress are old enough to recall what brought it on, what happened, how horrible it was. And I can bet you that all, most if not all of them have probably been to the memorial and maybe visited the Memorial Museum. That was a horrifying thing. I mean, I remember having a reporter tell me who covered it for the Oklahoma, for the Oklahoman. You know, they were first on the scene among media, along with the television. Blood literally running down the streets where they had set up a triage center to take care of people who were injured or dying. That's what we're talking about. That's the end result of this kind of radicalization if you're not careful. You know, I think January 6th, was awful. I am shocked that more people were not killed and that it didn't get worse than it did. But we know how far it can go if folks are not careful. And that's what I would, you know, if you're an elected official, hey, take a beat. Find out a little bit more before you start reacting just to satisfy, you know, whatever that was i i just i just can't get into that you know yeah, I, I, I remember it was the first time i ever heard the term collateral damage or and that what they are collateral casualties it was something to that effect where it was timothy mcveigh and his conspirators that sort of chalked up the child deaths to hey you know what if you're if you're gonna bleed for your patriot blood sometimes innocents have to die and that's the kind of attitude we're talking about that I think has gotten worse since then in recent years that yeah. this idea of, and I've heard it from, from candidates that they really think the federal government's going to come after us and without yeah, recognizing, we did, didn't we? You know, yeah. And I'm like, you know, we make, we, we elect our representatives. So we get the government we deserve. We get the government who's supposed to reflect us. And that's why we push voting so much is, you know, you don't vote, then yeah, other people are gonna, you know, it, 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 I don't know, it just, um, but I, I'm, I'm glad you wrote that because it was on my mind a lot too, that when I, after that search warrant, I just started hearing the same kind of language only from powerful people. And I thought, wow, they really don't know the weight of their words. So, no. and as these 
heavy subjects go with us. I'm moving into something else. I, I, I did want to recognize as we're sort of winding this down that school started this week. The uh, my my I have a son now in college and now a a my daughter went off to school this morning solo, which was kind of weird. But we do have, um, you know, I wrote a, a column that came out today. It's one of those, you know, annually they, there are these studies that look at how much parents spend. But I wanted to point out how much teachers spend. Um, on average, it's been a little over eight hundred dollars. And with my husband being a teacher, that's about right, you know, for over the year. And they don't get that back. They get a federal tax credit, I think, or deduction of up to $300. But, you know, just recognize that, that teachers aren't these radical, indoctrinating, woke, whatever. They're really just public servants trying to educate the next generation. They're putting their own what little money they have into their classrooms for students and um, student and parents also parents are spending about that much getting their kids outfitted for school ready to go and so I just just want to tell people be you know watch your speed limits around the schools and be supportive of schools I mean don't buy into the rhetoric and repeat things that you don't know firsthand if you haven't been into a, a third grade classroom don't assume what's going on in there right. you know I have been in there lately and same old third grade it was, and it's always been learning multiplication tables, which I had someone try to tell me that they weren't learning multiplication tables. No, they are. I've, I've seen it. So anyway, I just wanted to wish everyone like a, a good back to school. And, you know, what's fun, fun about school is that it's always like you start fresh. Don't you remember that feeling like it's like a new year, a clean slate. Everyone's excited. I mean, homework will start soon enough and it'll bring it down. But for this week, everyone's really excited. What are you excited about? It's like summer's over. Bummer. <laughs> well, there is a little of that, but still, no one is, no one's got a zero on their uh, grade yet. <laughs> so everyone's yeah. happy. Um, so what are you happy about? What are you? Ex well, this, this was cool. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, got to get together with a guy named Ryan Howell, who was, uh, works at River Parks Authority. Oh. He got to show me uh, on our bikes some of the new trails that they just opened up in Turkey Mountain. That was a lot of fun. I don't recommend doing it when it's 105 outside. That's uh, not great uh, for not being completely trashed. But it was cool to see it. There are beautiful new places on the west side of the park. And I want to say on Tuesday, even more new trails just opened up. So I think that was pretty cool. More stuff to check out. Maybe we can uh, bring him on a podcast and you guys can talk more yeah. about the river trails and bring attention to that. So, um, and the weather's great. Finally. Yay. I can actually, yeah. So it's good. So thank you everyone for tuning in to us and we will have more next week. Go vote, please. On Tuesday, go vote. There's stuff to make decisions on. Mm -hmm. Bye. See ya.